welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls! Hello and welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and I'm so grateful for you being here today. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to share with you some exciting things that are happening at our Gorongosa HQ. We finally got to do an in-person trade show, Expo West, and it was so, so incredible to meet so many people and get a real feel for how people interact with us. And we're just so grateful for that opportunity. And we are heading to Sun Valley Film Festival. So if anyone listening is going, make sure you stop by the Coffee Talks. You will see us there serving up our delicious specialty coffee. Okay, let's get to it. As you can tell, I'm very excited about doing things in person again. It's a very exciting time. So for episode 24, we're joined by Lisa Cooper. She's the CEO and founder of Figure Eight Investments. She's been working in sustainable and impact investing, but before people even started using those terms. So she's really been a trailblazer in this industry. For over three decades, Lisa has been working in the ESG investing space, managing portfolios for high net worth and institutional investors at Smith Barney Asset Management in New York and Trillium Asset Management based in Boston before founding Figure Eight in 2016. So Figure Eight is an SEC registered investment advisory firm with diverse staff hailing from three continents, speaking six languages, and having earned decades of investment experience. And some other really cool things about Figure 8 is they're a certified B Corp like us and employee-owned, women-led, and 100% committed to sustainable, responsible, and impact investing. So this was a really eye-opening episode for me. So you, I think, will get a lot of value out of it. What you'll learn today is what led her into the investment world and to ultimately founding Figure 8, the wonderful name origin story behind Figure 8. We also talked about the most common misconceptions people have around investing in investments and why it's so important for Figure 8 to be woman-led. And lastly, we talk about her top tips for anyone looking to get started in investing because we all know it can seem a little daunting. So I hope you loved this episode and learned a lot. And as always, if you did, please share it with a friend or tag us in your stories. We absolutely love to see it. Let's get to it. Here's episode 24 featuring Lisa Cooper. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you. We are going to jump right on in to the important stuff. And I want to hear from you. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Mm, Glad you added the right now to that because, you know, I think a lot of us 
um, like to practice gratitude regularly. And so, you know, and I, like everybody, have lots and lots of things I'm grateful for. You know, my family and my career that I'm passionate about and all these incredible people I meet along the way. But, you know, these days, I think the thing I'm most grateful for and that I really try to honor is that I wake up in the morning and I feel great. I'm healthy and strong and I have um, lots of energy and um, usually pretty early in the morning when I wake up because I'm a morning person. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I would have said, well, I wouldn't have even noted that. I would have taken it for granted completely, right? And the idea that I, you know, that that I can do that, boy, <laughs> lots of gratitude. And the thing I do first every morning is is I I, I hit the foothills, the Boise foothills, um, for a run or a hike, and uh, and so that's the other thing that I'm really really grateful for these days because it's been sort of my source of nurturing and sanity during uh, you know the craziest times. Hmm. Absolutely. And I can attest Boise has such lovely outdoor spaces. So that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, what, yeah, we are very blessed with that. So. Yes. What inspires you? So where do you take inspiration from that gets you up and enjoying the outdoors or building your business? What inspires you? Yeah, yeah, lots of things again, you know, but I think um, on a regular basis, the team that I um, have the pleasure of working with here at Figure Eight, we have a really diverse team in a pretty challenging field. And most of our um, staff, most people don't have a background in investing or finance. So they've come into this, you know, a few years ago with incredible um, openness and willingness to share and, um, and to support each other as we've, you know, built this from the ground up and as they've um, had to to learn a lot in a short period of time. And uh, watching that, being part of that has been, you know, it inspires me daily. I, and I, I, I so want them to do well. That's a big part of what drives me in this business. Mm, I love that. What advice would you give your younger self? And I like to caveat if she would listen. I would not have listened, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I would have said it then anyway, I think, um, you know, <laughs> to um, to trust what you think, you know, because, you know, like a lot of young women, I, you know, back then I, I, I had a lot of self-doubt and I didn't. Um, I didn't trust my voice, you know, and I didn't trust my sort of my internal instincts um, like I do now. And I think there's a lot in society that, you know, kind of works to sap a younger woman's confidence. Um, I hope that's changing. You know, I have a, a, an 18 year old daughter and I, I watch her and her friends and I think I think they're doing better than I did back then. But that's the advice I would I would give to myself, my younger self. Love that question. I think that's good advice even now too, isn't it? Oh, really? absolutely. Absolutely. And I think especially again, you know, for women or in a field where, you know, it's almost the nature of it, where there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, to, to, to trust yourself is, is um, um, it's, yeah, it's continual challenge, but, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> hope that as you get older and gain some wisdom, you also gain some, um, some belief in, you know, and experience that you actually do know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You get a lot of proof. In case you yeah, need it yeah. to see, okay, <laughs> yeah. I actually did know yeah. what I was doing there. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> What's one mantra you like to live your life by? Um, I think, you know, at least it, it, in my professional life, very much that 
that business has an enormous opportunity, maybe even even uh, an, an obligation um, to be a force for good. We try to live that every day in how we run this firm and in how we invest and, and to encourage companies small and large in which we invest um, to, you know, to own that too. I love that. It's really nice to see that type of responsibility, I would say, in an industry that probably isn't well known for that, I would say. It's not that common, I don't think, that you hear of companies in your industry really taking that stance. I think it's really, really cool to see that you're really backing that 100%. Yeah, yeah. I think there are a lot of there's a lot of interest in helping people align their investments with their values, mm. which is very different. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's very different from saying the fact that we're a business that has capital and labor and resources, we can use those. Every one of those things is a is a is a leverage point. That's different. And and then you're right, you don't hear a lot of that in this field. It's amazing to see. Who or what has been your biggest teacher so far? My life, uh, probably um, being a parent. Um, it sounds like you have little ones as well, right? Is it? Um, I have one son. What? He's three <laughs> yeah. years old, and my goodness, yes, you learn a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. As I said, I have one daughter who's eighteen. So, boy, I you know I got fifteen more years of learning on, on yet there, but it's, uh, uh, you know, hardest job in the world, you know, full of all sorts of, of challenges and reflections and all of those things. But it is amazing to me how much, you know, sort of watching um, the best leaders um, and, you know, sort of learning some of those practices, it's, it sure resembles parenting or the, you know, things that you try to oh, get yeah. right. Oh, yes. There's a lot of parallels there. And I always say with parenting, it's it's kind of like having a, a mirror always in front of you because it reflects back yes. all of the things about yourself. Some of them pretty, some of them very ugly. <laughs> and you kind of have to constantly be respecting that reflection and figuring out what you need to do to make that better. It's constant, really. <laughs> It is. It is. And it's such an opportunity to learn. You know, I think a lot of like, you know, in other parts of your life, there's a lot, there are a lot more controls, like other people that you're talking to are not going to immediately reflect back to you what they're thinking or feeling necessarily. Right. But your three-year-old's going to, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's just a lot of lessons there. And sometimes, yeah, that mirror can be, can be rough, but uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a very different person now than I was when I became a mother. Yeah. I'll check back with you when I have teenagers. I don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> I, I actually love teenagers though. So I know sometimes they get a bad rap, but I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Uh, me too. I think it's a great time. Yeah. 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 I would love to talk about kind of your early life, just to situate our listeners. So what was it like? Where did you grow up? What did you like to do? Tell us all the fun details. Well, I'm, I'm old, first of all. So, um, <laughs> so I, I grew up, well, I was born at like, you know, I was born in 1962, which is a long time ago, right? So, so I grew up in the, well, in the Midwest, largely in the Chicago area. And I have three siblings. I'm the oldest. And I, 
and, and my parents are now in their 80s and thriving, which is wonderful. And my family's always been very close. And, and I was raised in a, a sort of family environment that valued intellectualism, probably above all. My dad's a theoretical physicist and a physics professor. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and my mom was a teacher. And so, you know, academics were, you know, just big. And my parents also, um, and my whole family is um, very, very progressive. So, you know, we were raised vegetarian. I went to a lot of peace rallies and protests, um, even when I was really little, <laughs> and, uh, or from the time I was really little. So that sort of blend of, of you know, intellectualism and liberalism is, you know, sort of the, the, the environment. And in that, let's see, uh, I, from a pretty early age, I started doing something that doesn't really fit neither of those. I, I became a figure skater and that was sort of the center of my life when I was a teenager and through the years around there. And, and so that really defined my, you know, a lot of my, my formative years. Mm, so cool. Thanks for sharing. We actually have a couple things in common. Uh, my parents were both teachers actually, and the value of education was also probably one of the top values in my family, I would say. So that really, and intellectualism and having those types of discussions, that was always very important in our house and definitely something I hope to impart to my family as well, uh, because I can see definitely a lot of value in it. I mean, it, it got me very far in my life, <laughs> so I can see how it can really help the kids kind of grow and decide for themselves to what areas they like. If you're not never exposed to something, it's really hard to become interested in it. And I was talking, I interviewed recently a woman who works on creating extracurricular activities and just making them more accessible. And she was talking about how, you know, if you don't have the means to go to engineering camp, then you've never known what engineering is, right? Like you don't get yeah. it at just your normal public school. And that really stuck with me. And it, and it just makes me think that it's cool that parents like potentially yours and mine, we got exposed to a lot of different areas. So it helps you, I think, be able to see what you like, what you don't like, where your interests lie. So I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk about your career and how you really got started and what led you into the world of investing and then ultimately to founding Figure Eight Investing. I think my career has been guided by sort of a series of happy accidents, which I think is you know, sort of how, how great careers get built. It, you know, taking advantage of those accidents when they happen and going, oh yeah, that seems like a good thing. I think I'll do that. You know, so, so let's see, I went to college, you know, not knowing really what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I had this sort of intellectual curiosity and drive, but I didn't have no shape to it. Right. And I ended up leaving school and going and working for three years, I ended up working for a greeting card company. Again, this is quite a while ago. And so the idea that, that, that greeting cards could be, you know, printed on recycled paper with sustainable inks like that was new. So this company was a little revolutionary at the time, you know, we're going to create creative greeting cards and save the trees and all of that. But that was the first time I had ever seen, you know, this idea of business being an agent of transformation, if you want to call it that, right? So, so I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I got to work there for, for a couple of years while I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, I realized that I, I really loved all the 
activities involved in business and the idea that that could be something that fit with my sort of worldview and what I want, you know, the mark I would hope to make with my work. That was great. So I, that's, I went back to school and went to business school and, uh, and thought I, you know, tried to sort of craft all my work around this idea of corporate social responsibility, which wasn't even a thing then. No one talked about it. It was, didn't, you know, (laughs) Yeah, that was Maybe not a thing. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, the idea was, you know, you go work, you make as much money as you can, and then you can do, you know, sort of write checks and do society events and give back in that way. But, you know, but very, very separate things. And, and that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted the things to be integrated. So I ended up doing some nonprofit work and monitoring the sort of again, without a name on it, corporate social responsibility of um, major corporations. Um, and we were, um, this nonprofit I was working for, we, we were selling that information um, to various audiences. We published a little book, all that stuff. And then we, we also worked with some early social investors mm-hmm. because they were trying at that point to do this alignment for clients. And one of those firms sort of recruited me and um, without you know going into lots and lots of details, I ended up going to work at the, actually it was on the hundredth floor of the World Trade Center um, in New York. <laughs> And uh, wild time in in lots of ways and very early days of socially responsible investing. And we built uh, this little, we took this little pot of money that was largely uh, managed for nuns who wanted to have their values, Mm -hmm. you know, infused into their investments. And we grew it to, um, you know, 20 times over in the, in the six years I was there. And uh, and and those were high flying days, and it, it, I, I loved it. I was doing the sort of very fast paced New York lifestyle, you know, doing sort of the Wall Street thing, and but then at some point realized, in this at this point, I'm you know finally in, in my mid thirties, going, this isn't the life I want. Um, right. So you know, this sort of <laughs> great career lifestyle crash, you know, come crashing you know, into each other. Like, no, these things don't go together, but maybe they could, and so. I decided to, the short version, I decided to throw my dog and myself in my car and drive across the country, take my career and my life west. I, for various reasons, had picked Boise as the, you know, sort of my my fantasy paradise place. I was like, oh, let's see if I can make this work. And at first I couldn't, it took a while, but, but I did eventually land here. I've been here for more than 20 years now and it, it did work. It's very lucky that that timing coincided with about the timing where, you know, we could start doing that kind of remote work. And I, I moved from a big Wall Street firm to a smaller um, sort of boutique uh, investment firm focused on very, very sort of change-making activist brand of social investment, sort of the next iteration, and did that work from Boise um, for about 10 years. Yeah. So until my daughter came into my life and 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 then I, I found it really challenging to balance those things. So I took a, some time, stepped away, and uh, uh, while I, I did that stepping away, I also got very involved in the community here in particular in uh, refugee resettlement. And so uh, while I was doing that work, I kept thinking, as I was working with folks who had been engineers and doctors and uh, in other countries, they were coming here and all those skills were lost. And I thought, wow, they make an incredible investment team. And that was the inspiration for starting Figure Eight. So some of those folks are, were our first employees and are still still working here today, a couple of them. And uh, uh, and so, so, and I have also, I really missed, you know, business and investing. And I really wanted to 
share all this stuff that I know about money with others. And so about five and a half years ago, we launched Figure Eight. And uh, uh, it's been a fun, exciting, and wonderful journey since then. We do all, you know, sort of the, the high involvement, impact-focused brand of, of social investment now. And we do it for clients in about 22 different states. And, you know, we, we start out in a little cubicle. Now we have a, a building that we own and get to work in. And it's wonderful. So Wow, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. That's such a cool story. And it is interesting, though, how you did kind of take the opportunities as they arose, probably not knowing where exactly it was going to take you. And I think that's really important for listeners to dig into, that sometimes if you're feeling the pull to say yes to an opportunity, you don't necessarily have to know exactly what the step after that is. Steps two, three, four, five, six, maybe just step one, <laughs> put your heart into it and see what comes. When when uh, the, the Wall Street folks initially came to me and said, you know, do you want to come work with us? And I said, no, I have no interest in working in finance. I want to do activist or, you know, sort of work that that moves the needle and and I can have to wear a suit like I don't want to do that <laughs> and, and they said you know first of all you got to realize we're a really big company um division of what ultimately became Citigroup and they said you know we move our little finger like this and it sends ripples around the world you're going to have a, the opportunity to make a difference and and I I be- actually believe after that some of that's, you know, I don't want to swear. So we'll just say some of that is a little bit of greenwashing, but some of it is, is real. And, and I'm so glad I opened, you know, walked through that door, you know, at the time it felt like a crazy risk. And I, I could, I could wear uh, casual suits. Back <laughs> so okay. you're a soul. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I wear jeans. So there you go. <laughs> I love that. So I, I really love, uh, you know, my background is marketing and branding. And so I love a good naming origin story. And I want to know, is there a story bef- behind figure eight? Now I think I might know what it is, but hey. tell me. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was thinking about this little company uh, that I thought I'd start, you know, I, I we spent one very late night in a little French restaurant in Portland with my, my family, my parents and my siblings. And, and uh, this is, you know, again, five, six years ago, something like that. And me sort of saying, I think I want to start a business and, and them sort of pushing back and testing all of that. And, you know, what are you going to call it? And so we had this, you know, over lovely wine, trying to <laughs> kind of what should, what should I call this firm? And my mother said, it should be something that's about you, but it isn't, isn't your name, you know? And, and so we started going down this skating path. And I think my brother said, what about figure eight? And I thought, oh, that's it. That's it. Cause I, and, and since then it's come to be so symbolic for me of what, you know, what our company is about. I love like the number eight is a wonderful thing. I love numbers. And, you know, in that just the balance in the two circles to me of a, you know, perfect eight kind of is, is, is reflective of us trying to balance, you know, the financial and the social and the domestic and the global. And then we also work with people with a lot of wealth and people with not as much wealth. And, you know, so these intersecting circles is very powerful. Um, but the other thing is that, you know, when you in back in figure skating, when you skate what's called a figure eight like this, you know, it's the process is trying to skate these perfect circles, perfectly aligned circles, but you never really get there. It's iterative, right? You just keep going round and round and trying to get it right. 
And I just love that too, because, you know, it's this sort of quest to keep doing things better. And so the symbolism in it works and yeah, so proud of our name. I love it. Yes, of course. As soon as you talked about the skating, I was like, oh, I see, I see yeah. a little bit. And eight's also a very <laughs> lucky number in a lot of different traditions. So that's really cool. So I think that makes sense when you're talking about wealth. <laughs> like you need you need some of that. <laughs> I would love to hear from you because you're such an expert in this arena. What are some of the most common misconceptions that you come up against around investments? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of thinking about, you know, whether it's someone who's never invested before and they're coming in and what are some of the things that tend to come up? Yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions because, you know, I, unfortunately, the level of financial and investment literacy is pretty low overall. And, you know, and people tend to be intimidated by money and um, sometimes even, you know, numbers and math and all of those things, which... Anyway, so there are misconceptions. And, and I think I think one of the misconceptions is that the people who work in this industry, you know, us, <laughs> that we have all the answers, you know, that we, and that we have a crystal ball in a, uh, you know, in a world that that is, again, you know, I think I said before, is by definition, carries a, a lot of uncertainty. And we can identify, you know, some big trends or, you know, uh, there are markets have cyclicality to them, you know, the economy does. But you know, but the fact is that there is no crystal ball and it is the nature of markets to go up and down. And so the idea that we can say, you know, here's when you get in and here's when you get out of the market to time that perfectly, like that's not a thing. You know, there's not been anybody who's been able to do that in any consistent way. So what we do as professionals is very different from, from I think, what people some, you know, often think. And what we do is we say, yeah, it's the nature of markets to go up and down. So we're going to structure a portfolio for you that's, that's, that's created to go up and down. And then when it goes down, <laughs> be there to hold your hand and say, we built this to, you know, to, to weather those up and ups and downs. So I think that's, that's one big one. Um, I also think that especially in times, you know, the like years that we've had, we've had some really good years in the market recently, even with the pandemic, you know, market took a dip in March, 2020, but came right back. And I think there's a, that there are a lot of people who think when markets are going up, that they will just keep going up, that that's what they do. And we get, you know, sort of almost this bravado and you tend to see it in things like, you know, the sort of frothiness (laughs) around the meme stocks or things like, you know, GameStop and and AMC and, you know, uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I think there's there's almost this yeah bravado or overconfidence that that people have, um, and at the, you know conversely when things are bad um, you know people tend to panic, mm. um, or they or they think they will only get worse, and so I better pull my money out of the market before it gets worse, um, which is exactly the opposite of what you want to be doing, which is you know when things are down that's a you know can be a good or a better buying opportunity, um, and remembering that there you know that there is there is an up and down to the market. And the other thing is, I think a lot of people think that, think that, you know, investing is a way where you can make money pretty quickly. Um, and the best investors are long-term investors and investing almost by its nature, you know, works well <laughs> um, when you have a, when you have a decently long time horizon. We tell people if, 
if this is money that you need in the next, you know, couple of years, if you're going to be using it to, you know, buy a house or go on a trip or, you know, that's not money that belongs in stocks and bonds. That's money that, you know, for the most part, um, that's money that you want to keep pretty liquid and in things that don't go up and down a lot because you don't want to be taking it out when it's down. Right. Right. So you really, in general, very general terms here, want a more long-term strategy. And it sounds like there's probably some people who are going to be a little adverse to that, which makes it probably a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, that's part of, you know, that's part of the education around this Mm. is it is not weird for stocks to go down 40%. And so, you know, if you have a hundred thousand dollars that you start with and you think, okay, I think I'll put this in the market and let it, you know, hope it grows 5% a year. Well, you know, on long-term averages, yeah, there's always done that, right? Over the very long-term on average. But if you need it in two years, it would not be weird at all for that money to be, you know, down to $60,000 when you need it. And you don't want that to happen. So, you know, there are different types of investments, different asset classes for different lengths of time. But yes, in general, investing is a longer-term enterprise, thinking that way. Yeah. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And something I that kind of came up that you said earlier too, that I wanted to talk to you about is that, you know, people do get a little kind of almost scared about numbers or put off. And I think with money, it's interesting because it's still such a taboo topic for some people. And even for me growing up, money wasn't really something we outwardly talked about. And I've really had to kind of work against that programming to, you know, enjoy money and talk about it with my partner a lot and in kind of a positive light. That's what we've tried to do to kind of combat those early learnings around money. But why do you think as someone who works with money a lot, uh, why do you think it's still so taboo to so many people? Yeah. Yeah. My husband and I ended up having a conversation about this recently. <laughs> and and he was saying it's no longer taboo, right? Like, you know, turn on the TV and there's, you know, CNBC and they're, they're talking about money all day long. And, you know, in this digitized kind of social media led world, it seems like nothing's taboo, right? We've sort of, but, but that said, and I do think some of the barriers around that have, have lessened, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so why is it a hard thing? I think there are a couple of things. Some of them are, you know, just just a general discomfort with, you know, um, with numbers. I think, as I said, the level of financial literacy is pretty low. I think people don't know where they fit, you know, as they think about how much they're earning or, uh, or how much they have in savings and investments. You know, they don't know what that means. Is that enough? Is it not enough? Is it too much? Am I in the 1%? You know, how, how should I respond to that? So I think, I think those kinds of things, you know, there's, there's sort of a lack of framing and knowledge. So that makes it hard. But the other thing I think in a sort of deeper level, I'm, I'm still unpacking this for myself, but I, you know, money is, it's really a, you know, by definition, a, a, it's a means to allocate scarce resources. Mm. Right. And so you know, how you choose to use it to do all those different things, you know, earning and saving and spending and investing like that, you know, ideally this sort of should be a reflection of the things that are of your priorities, whether we're talking about it, you know, at an individual level or a societal level. 
But then when you go to see what's actually happening with money, it's an, it's it's like stepping on the scale, right? It's this accountability. It's a there's a there, it's a feedback loop, and and I think there might be some real discomfort around that. It makes it hard to talk about. But as I said, there's you know there's still a lot to unpack there. I think that's part of it. So I you know and I also I believe so strongly in in financial literacy in 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 knowing you know. Knowing just a little bit can go a very long way. And that is so powerful, especially for people who haven't, who don't come from significant wealth. Um, you know, a little bit of knowledge can get you on the right track and can be really powerful in transforming your life, lives of your, you know, successive generations, all of those things. And that starts to dovetail with, you know, racial equity movements and all of that. So I, th- I think I think there's a tremendous amount of power in starting to address some of those taboos. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in terms of that, what advice would you have for anyone listening that's curious about one financial literacy, perhaps like actually improving some of that literacy for themselves and two, where, where to go when they actually would like to start investing. Cause I think it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think, you know, a couple of things, first of all, investing is by nature long-term, right? Like we just talked about. So, you know, having that mindset, that means you have to have money that you can say, this is going to go over here in this bucket to invest for the longer term, and I'm not going to tap it soon. So that means that, you know, you got to sort of be ready to do that. It means that you don't have, you know, significant high interest debt, like credit card debt, you know, more low interest mortgage is great, but, but you don't want to be taking on high interest debt to invest. That doesn't make sense, right? You want your household income to be higher than your expenses. A couple of other checkpoints we want people to hit before they start investing. Once you're ready to invest, very first thing is to participate in your workplace um, plan if you if your employer offers one. So your 401k or 403b if it's a nonprofit or a government agency. And those employer-sponsored plans often come with a match, which means you know you put a thousand dollars in and the employer puts a thousand dollars in. It's not money that you're going to be able to touch now. It's money for the long term, for your retirement or for when you're older. It is amazing how much of that money gets left on the table where people don't participate, at least up to the point of the match. So that is the first place to go. The next place to go is to start a Roth IRA. If you know if your income is under a couple hundred thousand dollars, you will be eligible to do that in a Roth IRA for all sorts of reasons I won't go into here has lovely characteristics that make it a great long-term um, savings vehicle and a flexible vehicle for younger people, especially. And you can put not a lot in it because, uh, but six thousand dollars a year if you're under fifty. So, uh, so that's those are a couple places to get started and a couple places to learn and find tools to help you along the way. There are wonderful sort of knowledge centers um, at you know, major brokerage firms like Fidelity and Schwab and Morgan Stanley. And you don't have to be a client of those places to access their knowledge centers. And they really are quite good. Um, The problem is, I think that most people look at those and think they're overwhelming. So that, you know, it can often be helpful to, to, you know, to get some advice. And then there's a wonderful new organization called Invest for Better for anyone that wants to invest with that social impact piece, which I would encourage everybody to do. But they start from the, um, 
you know, sort of the, the, the basics of investing and, 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 and then go through a stepwise process that I think is excellent. And so that's a, that's a wonderful um, uh, resource as well. So those are some, some places to start. Yes, that's great. It's always good to hear from the expert, you know, where's, where's the point A I can go to and kind of go from there. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> so before we get into our rapid fire round, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on the show and really acknowledge you, Lisa, for the incredible work you're doing in really using money as a force for good and supporting all your clients in also doing the same. It's really, really amazing to see. Thanks. Thanks for asking all these great questions. Oh, I'm so glad you liked them. Okay. What's a book that's changed your life? Let's see. I'm going to give you two. So career-wise, long time ago, um, a book called Finding Your Own North Star, which is by a coach called uh, named Martha Beck. And it's a book full of exercises that if you're trying to figure out, you know, what you want to be when you grow up or something like that, or, you know, making your next great career move. I, yeah, terrific. So when we talk about changing lives, like that helped me decide that I wanted to jump into this entrepreneurialism thing, you know, and start my own gig. And more recently, a book called Winners Take All, which is written by a guy named Anand Gurdidas, who shows up on the news quite a bit these days as commentator. Um, the idea that uh, that sort of feel-good complacency that's involved with a lot of philanthropy and sometimes social investing is very different from um, actually moving the needle um, and actually can be damaging if what we're doing is, you know, doing good things so that we can pat ourselves on the back. Uh, the idea of maybe taking some more risks or some more discomfort and, you know, really looking to what really does create change um, is much more challenging, but that those two things don't always go together. And in fact, sometimes they're opposed. So that's really helped shape my thinking around what we're doing. I know this is supposed to be rapid fire, so I'm trying to talk <laughs> okay. fast. You're good. Favorite place <laughs> you've great. traveled? Southern Africa. I got to go to South Africa in the late 1990s. Yeah. And um, uh, participate in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearings as a monitor. So that was incredibly wow. powerful. And I didn't get to be in the country for very long, but I loved everything. <laughs> just the, you know, the landscape, the people, there was so much there that was so rich. And then also was, I uh, had the opportunity to do some safari stuff in Botswana. And so the intersection of you know, incredible people, incredible wilderness and wildlife. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. That is incredible that you were there for that. So cool. Uh, What's a lesson you've learned recently? Oh, you know, I've learned it lots of times, but it, but comes back to me over and over again. That, that leadership means letting go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that there's you, if you want to control things, you are not going to be leading. You're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So being uh, ready, willing, able to let something go and, you know, trust, trust that, that others will, will, will go with it. Yeah. That's a great one. I love that. Okay, last over question. and over. Again. Yeah. <laughs> last question here. Name a woman who inspires you. I had the great privilege to work closely with a founder of uh, one of my prior firms. Um, her name is Joan Bavaria. She passed away 
unfortunately, sadly, at you know too young of an age. But uh, she was one of the pioneers of the social investment world and created a lot of the tools and techniques research that we use today. Um, and she also created along the way organizations to further that research and uh, just um, did it all with enormous kindness and forgiveness for herself along the way because you know you make a lot of mistakes. And um, she was sort of my mentor and uh, and still is. She's not here. Her her teachings are so. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, thank you again so much, Lisa. And I want to make sure everyone goes and finds you if they want to learn more about Figure Eight Investing. So, if you could just let everyone know where to come find you, Figure Eight Investing dot com. So, in the eight is the number eight. So, Figure Eight Investing dot com. Amazing. Thank you again, Lisa. Thanks so much, Emily. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa.com. 